You're listening to Crosspoint Community Church in LaGrange, Texas podcast. To learn more about Crosspoint Community Church, including service times and how you can connect, please visit crosspointchurchtx.org. If uh, someone at church asked you what you did last night, maybe you chat for a bit, and maybe you don't think much more about it after that, right? But if a detective shows up at your house and knocks on the door and asks you the exact same question, does that change anything? After you answer their question, are you thinking about that conversation after? The question is the same. So what has changed? There has been a change of authority in the one who's asking the question. And that authority changes everything. In Matthew chapter 28, verse 18, it says this, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Everything can stop at that point. Message is done, right? I can just, we can just go. Yeah, let's just go. I'm hoping that we can unpack that statement just a little bit today. And I've got a lot of scriptures. And so, uh, man, uh, I, most of them are on the screen. But if you need to jot some of those down and go back and look at them later, we're going to take a little look at the authority of Jesus today. Would you pray with me? Dear Jesus, I'm so thankful that you love us the way that you do. That you care about us. And God, that our mercies are new each morning. That even knowing all that we would do to fail you, you still chose to come and die for us. God, may we have some insight into who you are this morning. May we know you and may that change the way that we live. I pray that for me. I pray that for anyone listening. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. In the clip that we saw, the Pharisees asking Jesus, by whose authority do you teach? And ultimately, he's asking, by whose authority are you doing what you're doing? Jesus could answer that by saying, well, all authority. Um, And in case that isn't clear, I'm talking about all authority in heaven and on earth. In Matthew chapter 8, we read a story about a centurion and his interaction with Jesus. And uh, I'm going to have this one on the screen. Matthew chapter 8, starting in verse 5. And it says, when he had entered Capernaum, a centurion came forward to him, appealing to him, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, suffering terribly. And he said to him, I will come and heal him. But the centurion replied, Lord, I am not worthy to have you come under my roof, but only say the word and my servant will be healed. For I too am a man under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go and he goes and to another, come and he comes and to my servant, do this and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he marveled and said to those following him, who followed him, Truly I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. I tell you, many will come from east and west and recline at the table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven, while the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And to the centurion, Jesus said, Go, let it be done for you. As you have believed. And the servant was healed at that very moment. In scripture, 
you see two instances where Jesus is amazed. Or in the ESV translation that I'm reading from, he marvels. Okay? Both times revolved around the idea of faith. You see him marvel at the faith of this centurion, and in the other time he's actually marveling at the lack of faith for the people of Nazareth, his hometown. For this centurion, you get a glimpse of his faith. You see him understanding more fully than most who Jesus is and what kind of power he possesses. But the other aspect that he goes on to explain is this centurion also understands the authority of Jesus. And he goes on to compare it to his own military service. It's always amazing when you see people in Jesus' day get it, right? It's always amazing. But even knowing what we know now on this side of the cross, do I get it? Do, do you get it? Do you understand the authority of Jesus? Colossians chapter 1, starting in verse 15, says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. Jesus came to make the invisible visible. Jesus tells Philip in in John chapter 14, whoever has seen me has seen the Father. Jesus is the firstborn, meaning he was before all creation, which we're going to see in a second, but he's also over all of creation. And we're going to continue to look at that through several scriptures. In verse 16, it says, For by him all things were created in heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. Now, when I start thinking about the visible and the invisible, this always makes me think of the story of Elisha and his servant. Now, uh, if you don't know that story, it's from 2 Kings chapter 6. And it says this, When the servant of the man of God rose early in the morning and went out, behold, an army with horses and chariots was all around the city. And the servant said, Alas, my master, what shall we do? He, being Elisha, said, Do not be afraid, for those who are with us are more than those who are with with them. Then Elisha prayed and said, O Lord, please open his eyes that he may see. So the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. Everything you see and all that you don't see was all created by Jesus and for Jesus. He is the creator of heaven and has authority over all of heaven. It also stands to reason that if Jesus created heaven, he knows what's required to be there. Jesus knows that he he knows what it takes to be with him forever. It is the authority of Jesus and his standard, his holiness and his requirement for holiness to be in his presence that sets the bar for humanity. And guys, it's not a low bar. The bar is perfection. So with Jesus's authority over all of heaven, this also includes the spiritual forces of evil. 
Now, if you read in Ephesians chapter 6, you see, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Now, Jesus has several encounters with demons while he's on earth. Now, I want to just look at one as an example and see if we can see any of Jesus' authority in that story. So let's take a look at Matthew chapter 8. Uh, we're going to look at verse, uh, starting in verse 28. I'm not going to read the whole thing, so if you go back later, check that out. Uh, it says, And when he came to the other side, to the country of the Gadarenes, two demon-possessed men met him, coming out of the tombs, so fierce that, one, that no one could pass that way. And behold, they cried out, What have you to do with us, O Son of God? Have you come here to torment us before the time? Now, one thing that always kind of strikes me as interesting is that in every encounter that Jesus has with demons, they're always respectful to Jesus. They always acknowledge his authority. Now, um, do you see that in this passage? They address Jesus as the Son of God, and they ask what he intends to do. It may be a weird thought to think that demons are respectful of Jesus, uh, but the truth is they recognize his authority. They're asking Jesus not to torment them. From another gospel, we hear from the group of demons named Legion, you hear them asking to not be banished to the abyss by Jesus when referring to that same torment. It's so interesting, but we have to recognize that Jesus has all authority. Authority over the rulers, the authorities, the powers of the dark world, and the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realm. Even the demons recognize and respect that fact. Now, Satan is called the god of this world. But the resurrection changes everything. For the followers of Jesus, it actually says, before we read in Colossians, uh, it says right in front of Colossians uh, 13 and 14, it says that um, for the followers of Jesus, the resurrection delivers us from the domain of darkness and transfers us to the kingdom of Jesus. And we are told by Jesus that the gates of hell cannot stand against Christ through the church. See that in Matthew 16. So, so maybe we're starting to get just a small, small picture of Jesus' authority in heaven and what that means. To look at Jesus' authority on earth, I'm going to go... I'm going to go back where we started with that same passage in Colossians. Colossians chapter 1, verse 15. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things. And in him all things hold together. Jesus' authority is over his creation. And his creation includes earth and everything on it. By Jesus, all things were created on earth. And then in verse 17, you see that in Jesus, the whole thing holds together because of him. Now, I can barely keep my roles of family and church and work and all that kind of stuff straight most of the time. But the cosmos, the earth spinning on its axis, rotating at the right speed, everything in all of creation is kept going because Jesus wills it. It's crazy. I mean, I don't know if you've ever given that much thought. All the way down to my heart and your heart continuing to beat. 
Him being mindful of how many hairs are on my head and your head. All of that. He is in control. He is sovereign. Jesus has the authority over all of it. All of it. In verse 18, uh, we keep reading, it says, And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. In everything, that in everything, he might be preeminent. Now, I love Andy Stanley's quote. He says this, he says, If a man can predict his own death and resurrection and pull it off, I just go with whatever that man says. Right? I mean, this, that, that, that's our Jesus. Jesus changes everything at the resurrection, becoming, how verse 18 puts it, the firstborn from the dead. The church is established, and Jesus is who we worship, and he's why we worship. His authority is over the church because it's all about him. He is preeminent over everything. Over everything. We also see, in more of his power, in, in Matthew chapter 8, verse 23, it says, And when he got into the boat, his disciples followed him. And behold, there arose a great storm on the sea, so that the boat was being swamped by the waves. But he was asleep. And they went and woke him, saying, Save us, Lord, we are perishing. And he said to them, Why are you afraid, O you of little faith? Then he rose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. And the men marveled, saying, What sort of man is this? That even winds and sea obey him. Jesus brings peace to the aspects of the world that are broken by sin or affected by the fall. As you read in various places in scripture, one of the things that is, that is not how God intended it is the world and humanity's role in it. Enter Jesus. Jesus' authority on earth includes having authority over even the weather, he brings peace and he calms the storm. Did you notice in verse 27? Uh, I'm hoping that there are some of you that are going to be marveling at the authority of Jesus as you continue to look at this. Jesus, um, Jesus looking over, if you look over chapters 8 and 9 of Matthew, um, there's a lot, a lot of stories, just in those two, there's, there, it's all over the place, but just in those two, of Jesus' authority over disability and over sickness. Uh, we see in chapter 8, Jesus heals a leper, actually touches him. He heals the servant of a centurion from far off, which is a story that I told you. Um, in verses 14 through 17, it mentions a whole lot of different people that Jesus heals. We see at the end of chapter 8, the healing of two men with demons. Uh, it, was, it was the one I started earlier. In chapter 9, we see that the blind are healed. We see the dead brought back to life. We see a mute who's oppressed by a demon being freed from that demon. We also see Matthew's account of the healing of the paralytic, which is what we saw a clip of. We saw that same story in some others of the synoptic gospels. I'm going to read it from the, the book of Matthew. So in Matthew chapter 9, very beginning of Matthew chapter 9, verse 1, it says, And getting into a boat, he crossed over and came to his own city. And behold, some people brought to him a paralytic lying on a bed. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Take heart, my son, your sins are forgiven. And behold, some of the scribes said to themselves, This man is blasphemy. But Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, Why do you think evil in your hearts? For which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Rise and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. 
He then said to the paralytic, rise, pick up your bed and go home. And he rose and went home. When the crowd saw it, they were afraid. And they glorified God who had given such authority to men. Did you catch that last verse? When the crowd saw it, they were afraid. And they glorified God who had given such authority to men. So which authority do you think that they're recognizing in this moment? I mean, they're definitely recognizing Jesus' authority over disability and sickness. Maybe some are wondering about what's this whole thing about him forgiving sins and his authority over that. What's crazy is that even seeing such a small part of the vast authority of Jesus, uh, just think had they known what you and I know today, a glimpse at more of the authority of Jesus, I, I wonder what their reaction might have been. I'm trying my best to just to, and I'm only scratching the surface when it comes to illustrating some of the authority of Jesus. And there's so much more to say. Um, Perhaps we just don't come face to face with a lot of levels of authority on a regular basis to let this truly sink in. Um, Maybe you run into a cop here or there for some of you speed demons, right? Um, Maybe a judge, maybe a city or a county official. I I don't know what comes, I I don't know uh, who you may come across very often. But for Jesus' day, when Jesus talks about the kingdom of heaven, of which he's king, this is something that the people would have understood better than us, most likely. When Pilate is questioning Jesus before the crucifixion, you get this exchange in John 18, starting in verse 36. It says, Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from the world. Then Pilate said to him, so you are a king? Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world, to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Now, I don't know what comes to your mind when you think of kingship. I don't know if you think of Camelot and knights, or uh, maybe you think of uh, British royalty or something along those lines. Maybe you think of Disney and all the ways that they portray kings, right? Whatever it is, maybe you're like me and your experiential understanding of a king is limited. It's easy to assign to your mind that that Jesus is king. But until we truly understand who we're talking about, it's almost kind of easy to dismiss at the same moment. Maybe it's because Jesus came as a meek and mild lamb of God. The suffering servant, right? Maybe it's because, like it says in Isaiah 53, he had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. Why is it that I can find myself not living in a way that shows that I know who he is? Would things be different if he came like he's going to come again in the future? Now try to get the this picture in your mind. Read out of Revelation chapter 19. It says, Then I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems, and he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. 
and the armies of heaven, arrayed in, fine, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, written King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Now, this is the same Jesus. Same Jesus. It's not two different Jesuses. This is the same one. Here he is, King of kings and Lord of lords. He has all authority on heaven and earth. So what is my reaction to King Jesus? You have to imagine that with uh, most people's reaction in the Bible to angels being a lot of fear and a lot of trembling... What do you think it would be like to be in front of someone far greater than the angels? Well, I, I think the first thing would be there be have to be submission. You see, uh, you see that uh, several Bible characters come in, like interact with a king, like an earthly king during their time. Esther, uh, before King um, Ahasuerus, he. You know, coming meek and mild, she comes in there in fear because she's going to have to defy the edict of the king to save her people. You see Nehemiah before King Artaxerxes. He prayed for four months before he ever even spoke to the king about his homeland's condition. And then he goes and he risks his own life being sad and expressing any displeasure to the king. There is a fear and a trepidation in any interaction with the king. Your very life is in their hands as they answer to no one and they can do as they see fit. How much more with the king of kings and the Lord of lords? It reminds me of a C.S. Lewis quote from The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. It says, Aslan is a lion, the lion, the great lion. Oh, said Susan, I thought he was a man. Is he quite safe? I shall feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. Safe, said Mr. Beaver. Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. He's the king, I tell you. So, so what does submission look like? I think simply it'd be looking like you're doing what he says. Standing before the king, uh, the kind of king we're talking about, with the kind of power that he has. Do you tell them, nah, I'm good just doing it my own way? Do you tell them, I, I know what you're saying, but I just don't think you're right. No, you're not going to say that to this kind of king. Uh, but you know what? I'm telling King Jesus so often with my actions that I don't think what he says really matters. That I think I know better and I'm just going to live my life. Jesus says in John chapter 14, verse 15, if you love me, You'll keep my commandments. It's not hard to believe that, right? Maybe you just feel like God's just far away. Maybe you feel like you really just wish he would just show up in your life. The answer is going to sound very familiar. and It comes with a promise. In the same chapter of John, Jesus says in John 14, 21, Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. I know that God is all about grace, and I, and I don't think we can preach enough about that. 
But I also think it's not crazy to talk about obedience and doing what Jesus calls us to do. Sure, he forgives. Yes, he's loving. But just as much as you want your children to do what, uh, just do what you tell them, how much more do you think our King Jesus desires for us to do what he says? Is Jesus just on an ego trip? Does he need us to do what he says so he can feel better about himself? Not at all. The truth is probably the same way that we feel as parents. Jesus knows what's best for us. But on a totally different level, it comes back to his authority. And when it comes to Jesus, well, there's that whole being the creator of the universe and being all-knowing and all-powerful. And um, it's not something we can quite claim as parents as much as we might try to convince our kids otherwise, right? Uh, It's even more than that, though. When we come to know King Jesus for who he is and what he's done and realize that it's his actions on our behalf, when we receive his work and when we live in allegiance to him, something incredible happens. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, it says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Now, are you hearing that language? It's the language of transformation. The old has passed away because our old life has been crucified with Christ. In Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, it says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Now, guys, this is really good news. This means that Jesus brings us freedom and we're no longer slaves to sin. Like we sang about earlier. This means we're no, we no longer have to live like we did before. We knew King Jesus. This means that we're looking at life with a new set of lenses and seeing the world that Jesus sees it. This changes our priorities. This changes who we are, the kind of people we are, the kind of girlfriends and boyfriends and husbands and wives and parents and all of those things. It changes everything. Yet so often... I find myself, maybe you do too, putting on a dead person's clothes, those grave clothes. And and basically, I'm still living like I used to live before I knew Jesus. So what do I mean by that? I mean that your life and mine can look a whole lot like a whole bunch of partial obedience. But partial obedience is not obedience. It's not Now, this is not a popular thought, but Jesus doesn't just want us to be happy and just live our best life. He he wants us to obey. He wants us to submit to him. He wants us to be about him. Jesus tells us through Paul in Ephesians chapter 5, Therefore, be imitators of God as his beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant, fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. He wants us to look like him. And then he gives us every single tool to do the job. He also shows us areas in our life that don't look like him and begins to show us how a transformed person lives. He begins to help us shed those grave clothes that we keep putting on. And sometimes he even gives us victory over certain areas of our life. In John 10.10, it says, The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life And have it abundantly. King Jesus gives us commands to show us how to truly have life 
and have it to the full. He doesn't tell us what to do to oppress us and keep us down. No, he tells us what, we, what to do because he truly wants us to live. When you see Jesus before you, you accepting him or rejecting him does not change his authority at all. He is king and his authority is over everything, including you, including me. His giving of free will allows for the rejecting of him on earth. And that decision carries on through eternity. King Jesus, his authority, his life, death, and resurrection, it demands a response from you. It demands a response from me. He's a good king. He's a good king. Philippians chapter 2 verse 9 says, Therefore God has exalted him, meaning Jesus, and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now, the worship team is going to come up in just a second. And the, the next song that we're going to sing about is, um, it, it just talks about Jesus being king. And I just want you just to reflect. I want you to reflect on what does that mean? If Jesus is king, what does that mean for those under his rule? And um, just so you know, that's you. That's me. If you have anything that you're needing prayer for, or um, anything that you'd like to pray with somebody about. We do have a prayer room right over here. If you go out these doors to the left, there's a prayer room over there. Um, but I, I just want you to think, maybe you haven't been treating King Jesus like he's really King Jesus. Uh, may I invite you just to think about him, him being king. What does that mean for my life? What does that mean for the way that I live? Let's pray. Dear Jesus, we're thankful that you are a good king. God, we're so thankful for that. That you know us so well and you still choose to love us the way that you love us. God, we're thankful that your authority is over everything. Because we need a good king like you in charge. And you are. And so God, I pray that my life would be a response to knowing that you are King Jesus. I pray that those listening and hearing would hear in their hearts and realize that you're King Jesus and that what, what our response is to you matters more than anything else. God, may we reconcile that in our minds. May we know that you are King and we are not. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us for the Cross Point Community Church Podcast. It is our prayer that this message was encouraging to you as you follow Jesus. For more about Cross Point Community Church, you can find us online at crosspointchurchtx.org. Have a great week.